0: forward slash give thanks for listening and god bless
1: our passage today comes from matthew 18 21 through 35 listen for what god is saying then peter said to jesus lord how many times should i forgive my brother and sister who sins against me should i forgive as many as seven times jesus said not just seven times but rather as many as 77 times Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, they brought to him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay it back, the master ordered that he should be sold along with his wife and children and everything he had and that the proceeds should be used as payment. But the servant fell down, kneeled before him and said, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. The master had compassion on that servant, released him, and forgave the loan. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 coins. He grabbed him around the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he threw him into prison until he paid back his debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, They were deeply offended. They came and told their master all that happened. His master called the first servant and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? His master was furious and handed him over to the guard responsible for punishing prisoners until he had paid the whole debt. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart. May God add a blessing to
0: the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning, Urban Village. Good morning. My name is Emily McKinley and I have the um, great joy and privilege of serving as um, the pastor of this tremendous community, um, almost six years old, and uh, to do so in partnership and in co-ministry with so many folks that you see up front here and many people who you don't see, um, but. Uh, provide meals, uh, provide projection, who count money, who do so many welcome people, um, who really help us embody what we say uh, we're about. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and why don't we begin with a word of prayer to, to ready our hearts um, to receive what God has to say to us. God, we give you thanks for this day and um, not only this day, but this space and this moment that has made possible for us to pause in the midst of all that is happening in our lives and lean in and listen closely to what it is that your spirit might be saying to us, what, what it is that you might be wanting to do within us and through us. And so I ask that you would clear away those things that um, cloud our senses and our capacity to really pay attention to what you're doing within us and around us um, so that we might be able to um, commune with you in, um, in the way that only this space can afford. Speak to us through me, um, in spite of me, and and may we leave this place uh, challenged, encouraged, and reminded of your goodness and your grace at work in our lives. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Earlier this week, uh, I received an email from Chase Bank. Maybe you've seen emails like these, right? Um, They were generously offering to cut my credit card interest rate to 7%, which is basically 30% of its current rate for six months. Now, I immediately deleted it because that's what I do with junk email. And I didn't think too much about this until I reflected more deeply on our passage for today. Because between Chase Bank and the king in this story, what we have here is an account of two very different economies. It begins with a scene familiar enough to us, right? There's a crediting agency, the king, and the bills have come due. It is the first of the month, right? Here comes a slave. The passage um, calls them a servant, but they are a slave. Because that's what anyone who has maxed out every and any line of credit that they, their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren combined could ever really have. They are a slave, right? And this king, who is really a stand-in for God, lets this servant, like, get way too far in debt. 10,000 talents, in this passage it says 10,000 bags of coin or gold. Um, but in, in other translations it says talents. It represented between 30 and 100 million days' wages for an average peasant. Like a lot of work, right? This dude owes the king more money than existed in circulation in the entire country at the time. This is lifelong, generations-long debt, and they will never be able to king, pay the king back. It's beyond impossible, He was a fool to get so far in debt, and frankly, the king had been a fool to let him get away with it, right? Why? Why did the king let the debt go so far? Why would the king extend so much credit? And I'll pause here to remind us of my six-month lowered interest offer, right? Why would they be so generous? Why would they want to make it so easy for me to run up my debt? Well, the answer is pretty obvious to us, right? They want to lower my interest rate so that maybe I'll splurge a little more than usual or maybe a lot more than usual, hoping that I'll come out the tail end of September carrying a debt load that I had not planned for, debt that I can't pay off right away, debt that they can charge me 7% interest on every month I roll it over. And of course, you can see this little thought bubble skit that's playing out in the heads of those sneaky bank marketers, right, as they rub their hands together, adding up the dollars and cents. This is our economy, right? You can't get through life in this country without some kind of debt, even if it's student loans. And all that debt comes with an interest rate, because that's the price you pay to spend money that you don't have. We know this. And we have known this since the day we turned 18. And people were offering us not voting registration forms, but rather free t-shirts and baseball hats and bonus points to sign up for credit cards. And it all sounds like a good idea at the time, right? But as they say, a Trap, right? <laughs> But in our story for today, we have a different situation. The creditor, the king, does, not, does something that is like pretty much unthinkable. This poor schmuck, who is so far in over his head in debt, he doesn't know which way to, is up. He gets the break of a lifetime. He kneels down before the king, and he begs him, please be patient with me, and I will pay you back. The king has compassion on him and gives him a path. It's not that the king sets him up with, like, a graduated payment process, right? Or even cuts that debt in half. The king completely eliminates it. And honestly, it just does not make sense. First of all, why would he let someone who has, like, clearly has limited finances run up that kind of debt? And then why would the king totally erase it? Doesn't the king know how to run a kingdom, right? Like, who put this guy in charge? But, of course, this is what Jesus is trying to explain about how God's economy of grace works we are not on the hook to pay back all the debt that we have accrued. In fact, that's impossible. And I mean, I really don't know what this servant did to get that far in, but even if you start adding up like, all the side eyes, eye rolls, and death stares that we give, we've racked up at least a couple weeks' worth of wages, right? And that's just the eyes. That is not including the selfishness, self-centeredness, and casual cruelties we inflict on one, of, on one another knowingly and unknowingly. We might not be all that bad, right? But we ain't that good either. And Jesus' point is like, this is God, right? She wants to free you to live free from that crushing burden of all the ways that you have failed yourself, failed one another, and God himself, right? God's grace is so deep and so unimaginable that it doesn't make sense and really is impossible to totally grasp. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. But that's only the first half, right? The passage began with this question from Peter. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Like, that's kind of a lot, right? And Jesus answers not just seven times, but rather as many as 77 times. And it's easy to want to be like, hmm, real quick, right? Because biblically, 77 times is basically like a lot of times. That's really what it means. It's like an infinite number of times, and that just like feels wrong right? Uh, It feels almost unfair. I'm sure it's been mishandled in abusive ways, too, right? Folks have been gaslighted into enduring oppressive circumstances and toxic relationships because of verses like these. But here's the thing. That's only the first half of what Jesus says. He goes on to say, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, which is this abundantly generous and possibly forgiving king, right? But that's not the end of the story. The servant walks out from under this guillotine of debt, Right? Free and clear with a new lease on life. Only to roll up like Rihanna on someone else being like, pay me what you owe me. Right? This dude literally says the same thing that the servant said to the king. Please be patient with me and I will pay you back. But instead of compassion that he just got served, the servant comes down hard on this guy and throws him in jail until he can pay him back. Now when the king finds out about this, he's like, wait. What? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? How? sway right uh-uh he withdraws his earlier ruling and gives the servant the same kind of treatment he gave to the other guy now jesus started out by saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and we all thought that this was going to be like a warm and fuzzy kind of situation until we realized the king isn't playing right so when jesus says at the end my heavenly father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart we realize that god is not out here writing blank checks right No, God is making an investment. Because here's the thing, God isn't a schmuck, right? God is radically gracious, radically forgiving, radically generous, but God is no fool. And because God is no fool, because God has expectations about who you should be and knowledge about who you are capable of being, God isn't ready to let your humanness get in the way of you living into the fullness of who, who you were created to be. And so God seeks to pull us out of those realities, those circumstances, the legacies of activity that have held us back to clear out our debts. God is here for that, right? But what God can stand, what God won't put up with, is entitlement And ingratitude. God seeks our liberation, but not just for ourselves, not just so I can go out and get mine, right? God seeks our liberation for the liberation of others. God is ready to forgive, God wants to forgive, but it is not without strings attached. It may not be 20% interest, but you better recognize your liberator, right? And because of this, God does not forget because there are expectations tied to that forgiveness. And this is where things can start to feel a little bit tricky, right? Because what gets in the way of us really understanding um, this economy of grace and forgiveness is um, what it's all about is that we live um, in, this, in a world that is transactional. And because we live in a world that's transactional, this idea that there are strings attached to God's grace and forgiveness can quickly be interpreted as something that's not, right? So this is not a tit for tat kind of arrangement. We don't pay God back as if that's even possible, right? Nor is it like buying carbon credits to offset our footprint, you know, like our carbon footprint. This is, this is how like the capitalistic consumer oriented culture that we've been raised in would have us think. And we just kind of like apply that on. But God's economy runs on a different kind of currency. It's a denomination of gifts and graces. So we have to sort of like get out of that mindset because it's not that binary. It's not that tight, right? We're not just trying to get to zero. God's grace and gift of forgiveness demands something, but it's not payback and it's not exactly even pay forward, although it's not not that, God's grace and forgiveness, like I said before, is an investment. It's an investment in our liberation, our transformation, and our vocation, right? The king did not free the servant so that he could go out and just shake someone else down, right? He freed the servant so that the servant could experience a renewal of self-worth that would compel him to go out and live his life fully and make it possible for others to do the same. God's economy is not "I do for you and you do for me." It's "I do for you and you do for others, and they do for still more, and on and on and on." God is not in your life to write blank checks. God is making an investment, and this is where I know some. Of, this is where I came from. This is and maybe some of you. This is where a the, theology of of personal salvation gets things wrong, right? Because it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus and me and you and me and all of us together. Doing this thing together. God wants to liberate you so that you can liberate others. And I'll say it one more time in another way, just to make sure you got me, right? It, it hasn't changed your life if it, if it hasn't changed someone else's life in some way, okay? You don't have to be a hero. You just need to let yourself be transformed so deeply inside that it can't help but show up somehow on the outside. Now, this does not mean that there isn't space for rest, right? It doesn't mean that the only faithful response is to do something. For those of us who buy into the idea that our worth is measured according to our productivity, we can talk about capitalism again, but we won't, uh, do not hear me saying that how much you do determines your value, okay? Okay? I actually think that the king would have been fine if the servant had walked away and just lived this, like, debt-free life, being a good and joyful neighbor, low-key, good guy, right? Um, It wasn't that the servant didn't walk away and, like, immediately become a model citizen. It's that they walked away and they made life hell for someone else. The total lack of compassion the complete disconnect between the mercy they had received and their attack on the next guy was what unleashed God's anger. God gets angry when justice is perverted. We see it all throughout the scriptures, right? And that is exactly what happened in that instance. God's justice in the form of mercy was perverted and it made God look like a fool. We are a forgiven people and so we have to act like it. This looks like gratitude. This looks like compassion. This looks like recognizing the gift of what you have been given and allowing that to undo those knots that have been formed within you. Knots of survivalism, right? Knots of individualism, knots of secrecy and scarcity mindset. These knots constrict us. They keep our imagination bound of what liberation really could look like, right? And if we don't allow God to loosen them, they will choke out any kind of spiritual renewal that God might want to enact within us. God is not keeping score, but God is paying attention. There's a place for anger in the conversation of forgiveness when the grace we extend is abused, when it is taken for granted, when it is received with ingratitude. There is room for anger. And... And there is room for grace. There's another part of the story that I play out in what I call my sanctified imagination, right? It's, It's the part where the king comes back to the servant in jail and asks him, are you ready now? Are you ready to be a changed person? Are you ready to allow the knots that have grown so tight within you to loosen? Pen poised over that checkbook. I'm ready. I'm ready to make an investment for you. God's forgiveness is here for you. It is an ongoing invitation, ready to make a change within. Are are you ready to be forgiven? Are you ready to be renewed, set free, set forth for the liberation of others? If you are, then receive God's radical grace and abundant forgiveness. Receive it. And then go out and live like it. Let us pray. God, we are grateful and we are confused, frankly, by your abundant grace. By your radical forgiveness. By your generosity that is beyond the bounds of our imagination. And yet, we ask that you would help us to be so deeply moved and transformed by that that all those things within us that told us we got to be out there for ourselves or just for our people, just like us, that we, can, that we can be freed from that kind of survivalism. Help us to be a people of an abundant mindset, people who open ourselves to your transformative work, even if it feels a little scary. Help us to grasp the kind of forgiveness that you extend to us day in and day out, And to, instead of feeling incapacitated by it, to feel moved to extend that and multiply that out in our lives. We give you thanks, God, for your radical grace. And we ask that we would be a radically gracious people so that this world might in turn be transformed for your work in wholeness of life for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.